So, uh, Jose, I've got this great idea for a podcast. Oh, what's that? Well, you know how you're a magic judge and, and I'm a magic judge? We should make a podcast and we should call it we should call it Judge Cast. I don't I don't know if people want to listen to a judge cast. Like what well, you know, talk about judging. I guess. I mean I certainly I, I, I think it'd be interesting. I'd like to listen to it. It'd be really awesome also if the guys that were doing it like did it more than once every two months, like added episodes more frequently and stuff. I on a, on a regular basis, even I think that would be awesome. That that is cool. I think that's the way to you know sort of give people that recurring dose of judge casting. Right on, on a on a regular basis. You know, I know I'm a terrible person at that though. Like I would be the worst host of, of a podcast to do that for because I would just never get it done in time. I would never have the time to edit everything put it all together and then get it to the people that need to host it. And I'd just be, I'd just really do a crappy job of it. Well, you know, it's funny you should mention that because I think I would do a good job. But, uh-huh. you know, I really like, I'm more of a casual judge. Like, you know, I'm just a L1, you know, I don't have the, I'm not as worldly. I don't go to all these uh, events and I don't have such a mellifluous voice. That world, that word, uh, worldly, I don't think it means what you think it means. No. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> Slowing my roll, man. <laughs> so we're actually going to do this then. Yeah. Okay. Well, we, I, I we think should. It, we'll give it a shot. I okay. mean, you know. I think we should have more banter in it. Yeah, you banter? know. It, it's too bad that there isn't like a third person here. You know, like like, like an Asian guy. With, it, yeah. That's like, what we, you're totally right. That's what we need. We need an Asian guy, okay. like an Asian judge, uh, like an L three maybe. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah, I, but. How many of those are dead? Yeah, there's this one guy that I remember a long time ago. He moved away, though. Oh, well. well. I guess we'll have to just do it with the two of us. That's fine. Hello and welcome to JudgeCast. This is Sean Catanese, L2, from Sacramento, California. And Jose Boveda, L1, from California. So, uh, yeah, we're back. Sorry, guys. Um, technical difficulties, that be technical meaning uh, life difficulties. Yeah, it's a, you know, it's everybody's got uh, stuff going on and um, you know, when Ricky left, we, I, I think we worked really hard to try to get Ricky to to come back and and do things um with us. Uh but you know, I I know he's a super busy guy. He's he's globe trotting for He's for he's specific. got a dream job now. What he's he's got a dream this? job and you know, we just we love him and we miss him and whenever he wants to uh record with us, he is more than welcome. Well, and Part of it too, I think, is that his laptop has failed him. That is true. So uh, he, he has to, he has told us that. So you know. yeah, yeah. I mean, he he is uh, yeah, but he he's great, and we hope to have him back. And actually, I saw him in Denver. You went to Denver? Yeah, he was the scorekeeper for the Star City Games 10K weekend there. It's like they hired him to do stuff like that. Yeah, it's weird how he just pops up at places like that. Yeah, um, related to Star City. Yeah, but I can understand. I mean, he's got lots of stuff going on. He's got a new girlfriend, so no more jokes about how Ricky doesn't have a girlfriend. Man, and I miss those jokes. Yeah. I miss the single guy wearing a sweater vest jokes. Yeah, no, can't make those jokes anymore. So, But congratulations, Ricky. A- and Tasha. I mean, you, you, you got Ricky. He's a nice guy. That That's so true. I, I never met Tasha, actually. You know, I haven't either. Oh. Yeah, I, no. I congratulations, hear, Tasha. Well, I hear one that, day we will meet. Well, she's a great co-conspirator. I, I think she's a great minion of his because there are are, are things that she's done. Um, you, judges are a prankstery group. When you when you get them in prankstery moods and 
she is of that mind, and I have heard stories that will uh, we will not talk about them now because they are pranks, and we want to surprise the people who will be pranked in the future with them. Suffice to say, um, good job icing Eric Levine, Tasha. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna want to know what that means. I'll talk to you about that when we're off the air. All right. Okay, I'll um, edit that part out. <laughs> right. Um, Anyway. I'm, I'm very uh, yeah. So I'm very happy that we're editing this entire podcast in. Uh, <laughs> you know that that's that's kind of nice. Uh, you know, so, sorry to everyone who uh, you know has been looking for JudgeCast. Um, you know, we've we've had some issues, like we said, and uh, we hope to bring them to you uh, on a regular basis. Now, um, I think we have a, a good sort of flow going again. So, so uh, yeah, expect uh, more weekly uh, podcasts. Absolutely. So with that. Um, actually, I'm leaving town for two weeks. Damn it! <laughs> okay, we'll find a way to do this more regularly, though. You, you killed think, my role! I think every, Again! I think every two, every week is probably one of the problems we had. I think maybe if we do it every two weeks, we can probably get it done more regularly. Yeah, that's true. Okay, so uh, every other week, unless our listeners bother us yeah. repeatedly on our Facebook page... Yes. Or just emailing us at judgecast at gmail.com. And you know, in the last two months, even though we haven't put out a new podcast, we've actually had like our listeners like fan us on Facebook anyway. Like we've had a bunch of folks just at us. I, I would love to walk up to each one of those people and give them a hug. If, yeah. you, if you guys are going to be at uh, uh, GP Portland, yep. I will also be there. I know there's no way Look you're for gonna... the handsome Cuban man with the beard. Yeah. Well, He's, he'll be with the, the very cute uh, Chinese girlfriend uh, walking around in the in the public events area, I'm sure. <laughs> that, yeah, exactly. Um, How many Magic guys at Grand Prix Portland are going to bring their girlfriends who also play? Like That's that, pretty that awesome. You've got a pretty true. sweet deal, man. Uh, that, that is true. That is true. Okay, so, I, I, so if, you, if you walk up to Jose and say, are you Jose Bovida? Are you a, are you a judge cast? Like, you need to be enthusiastic about it um, and not be, you know, like accusatory or threatening. But um, and don't be a stalker either. Stalkers are bad. Um, but if you do that, then, well, Jose won't give you anything. He'll just give you a hug, maybe. Uh, okay, so so that's our next contest. Uh, win a uh, hug from Jose. Win Portland. a hug from Jose. I got I got to be honest, and and I think that I am a good hugger. Uh-huh. I'm one of those like very right. you know you feel fulfilled after a hug from me. But I don't know if uh, listeners really uh, want to enter that contest with as much zeal as they would with say packs on the line. Or okay, okay. Well, we do have some of Ricky's old packs still left behind. We yeah, and and Alara Block is about to cycle out of standard. I got I got to be honest with with Ricky leaving, I'm a little verklempt that he has left. Every time I look at those packs, Sean, I'm being honest. Mm-hmm. I think of Ricky and I get sad. Okay, well, let's get rid of them then. I think also I have a bunch of M11 packs that I'm happy to give away. I'm happy to get rid of them. Happy to give them to our listeners because you know, I'm, I only worked a hard days, you know, judging for them. But I'm really actually happy to make sure that they go to a good home where they're going to be appreciated. But in order to get to giving away the M11 packs, we have to get through the shards packs. Right. So let's get. So let's. I say we give them all away at once. That's that. That's a lot of give them all away for a good idea. I think. Yeah, and I think the listeners would like that. I mean, okay. you know, it's sort of like a welcome back Cotter style. Yeah, it's like one one big one big just. Yeah, a plethora of packs. A plethora of packs. A plethora of packs. I don't actually know the exact number. It's probably not more than nine that we have left because I gave some away in Denver. 
Um, but uh, I think, yeah, I think we have at least nine um, and a couple of the special cards and stuff. I think we've got we've got some cards to give away. So oh, okay, we should we should do a hell of a contest. Okay, let's do it all at once. Okay, um, all the packs that we're giving away, and we're giving like them to them, one person or to various. Well, people. okay, if two people tie, we'll give them. We'll split them between them. But I think I only really want to send one package here. Right. Let's let's send it all out to one person, hopefully. Wow, who we can identify as having the best idea of why we should give them the packs. <laughs> Very meta of you. Yeah, no, I mean, really, just come up with a good idea why you deserve these packs. Give us an give us an idea of of what you will do with them that will make the world a better place. Oh, I like it. Always, okay. uh, we're, we're judges. We're always <laughs> trying to uh, improve the uh, magic community. Right. Like, so how are you going to do it? Right. Are you going to use them to bring somebody into the game for the first time? Right. No, yeah, you, you, can, you can do that. Um, if you're just going to crack them in the hopes of opening something awesome, eh, there are better ideas out there. So um, come up with a good idea of why we should give you all these packs, and then we'll send them to you if you win. And then we'll, we'll also say so on the air. Wow, that is that is awesome. Okay. They, they, there you go, uh, faithful listeners. To ye who uh, uh, stuck with us, uh, you can enter a contest to win all our packs, all of them, all of Ricky's packs. <laughs> of Ricky. That's right. That's the name of this episode. Win, win Ricky's, Ricky's packs. packs. Okay. So with that, um, let's get into the actual content of the episode. I think that's enough banter. Oh, okay. All right. Sound good. I reserve the right to intersperse banter. I do leave I'll it. keep it. I'll keep it in a minute. Do we know? But we do have a lot of stuff to talk about. We we do still we have plenty of questions that. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sent us. Yeah, we and do. then you went to Denver, so I'm dying to hear about that. Sweet. Uh, do I have to do it now? Ricky's not here. It's all you now. <laughs> I don't. I can't even do it. My voice doesn't go that high like his. It, the funny thing is, the funny thing about it is that. You try it, and you fail, and your voice cracks, and that's what makes it funny. So do it, Jose. Smile time! There we go. Good, Jose. Oh, okay. God. I need a concentration. Okay. Summon my inner Ricky. Well, let's see here. Question. Well, we have a question here from Steve, and Steve is from Connecticut. Steve wants to know if he is playing with a Relentless Rats deck that has 20, 30 Relentless Rats in it. As most Relentless Rats do. Exactly. So he gets all of his Relentless Rats, and lo and behold, it is not to be his game. All of those Relentless Rats end up in the graveyard somehow. Okay. What he wants to know is that when his opponent plays Yixlid Jailer that says cards in the graveyard no longer have any abilities, does he now have an illegal deck? (laughs) (laughs) Oh. uh, Hmm. No. I, I, I don't think so. I don't think uh, his opponent can play Ixlid Jailer and go, Judge, <laughs> you see how many Relentless Rats he has in his graveyard? <laughs> That'd be kind of cool, though. Right, right. Well, and the, the, so the, the issue there is that uh, it's not a game rule that he's violating with this. It's not a violation of any rule. Um, the, the rule that's allowing him to put those four, more than four copies of the Relentless Rats, the 30, 40 copies, whatever he's putting in there, um, that rule is a tournament rule. It's right. part of the Magic Tournament Rules document because the rule says you can't have more than four of something. Well, the card's contradicting that. But it's it's still a tournament rule that we're basing all of this on. The fact that the card in the graveyard doesn't have that ability anymore, 
doesn't really matter. Um, and uh, you know, you're not going to be disqualified or not going to have an illegal deck or deck problem or anything like that. Um, for, yeah, it's just not going to happen. That's a good um, question. What, what with the aftermath of, you know, Esper charm gate and, you know, people sure. having to be super careful now. Right, right. So right. if somebody calls a judge on you because your, your relentless rat stack just ran into a Yixla jailer, mm-hmm. uh, you can say, no, I was not targeting anyone. I was using the first mode. Okay. So we have um, Jason here with our, our next question. Jason is from... Jason is from a place that doesn't identify itself. Uh, Jason from Bangladesh. Okay. Jason from Bangladesh says, um, I have Jace's Erasure on the battlefield and cast Time Reversal. Does my opponent draw before milling or mill before drawing in response to my draw? Oh, wow. That's a, okay. that's a good question. So, so basically, the Erasure's out there. Time Reversal is going to say, well, I'm going to draw my seven cards and... Then Jace's Erasure is going to have to do something about that to his opponent's deck. Right. So does he get the top seven after the shuffle, or does he mill seven first and then get the draw? Right. That's a that's a good question because um, we know that uh, whenever a card tells you to draw X number of cards, each one is a single draw card. Sure. Thing. Each one is going to trigger Jace's Erasure. Right. But you will draw all the cards. Mm-hmm. Your oppo- you will draw all the cards. Your opponent will draw all the cards. And then finally, those seven triggers will go on the stack. Right, because they've triggered, but they don't go on the stack right. until the next time a player would receive priority. Right, which is kind of confusing. Uh, players get very confused when you say all this stuff triggers while things are resolving. Mm-hmm. But they don't actually go on the stack until a player would receive right, priority. Because, and, and it's really easy if you just remember the golden rule that nothing can happen or resolve in the middle of something else resolving. Right. You, you can tr- have things trigger, but you can't have other things resolve in the middle of something else resolving. One so, thing at a time, in other words. Right. Uh, Jason also has another question about replacement effects. Well, a, a great segue, right? Right. Things that don't resolve in the <laughs> middle of resolving, but replacement effects can replace something in the middle of a right, resolution. Because it's not a separate sort of trigger or right. ability. Um, so Jason also wants to know if he has two fire servants, this is a new card from M11, right. uh, where if an instant or sorcery that you control would deal damage to an opponent, it deals twice that damage instead. Is it to an opponent or to any creature or player? Um, in this case, it doesn't matter. So I'll okay. ignore that oracle wording. Um, it won't really matter here. Um, so two fire servants out and he casts lava axe. That Vinnie Peroni, the capo of Sacramento, did mm-hmm. this in the pre-release. Right. Domed right. his opponent for 20. <laughs> exactly. And it is 20 damage. So, um, and the reason it is, is that it's two replacement effects that are both applying to the same event. And so you get to choose the order. Well, they're the same sort of effect. So you don't get to worry about the order. It doesn't really matter. Right. Uh, you apply one. And if the other one can still apply, you'll apply that too. Right. So what happened here? Uh, the two replacement effects are the same thing, so the mm-hmm. order doesn't matter, as you said. And then uh, Lava Axe goes to deal five. The first replacement effect will change it and turn it into ten damage. Mm-hmm. Now, that replacement effect won't trigger again or whatever. Right. It just It's over with. But the second one has yet to apply. apply. So it's going to look at the ten damage and then double that. Right. So, so one Lava Axe plus two Fire Servants equals twenty damage. That's that smells like a deck, sir. Okay. Well, um, fire servant clone. I'll see. Lava you, axe. I'll see you at the bottom tables of the next PTQ with that one. <laughs> Chandra's um, outrage. You know, 
This is why I ask creature or player. Because oh, you can be like Shantra's eight damage outrage. to, you know, your primeval titan. Right. Four right. damage to your face. Okay. Okay. Or really 16 and eight if you have two fire servants out. So. Okay. So, um, we have William. William here. Boy, you know, people tell us where you're from. William yeah, doesn't so, say where he's from. I, oh, I actually, I know William. He's uh, from the the island of Yap somewhere. That's my guess. Yes. Um, so he, he was in the Pirates of the Caribbean, wasn't he? William Turner? Right? Uh, no, this is a different William. Oh. Um, so William wants to ask about ley lines. Um, and he says, if ley line of blah blah is in your opening hand, you may begin with the game with it on the battlefield. That's that's what each of the ley lines say. Not ley line of blah blah, but you know, anticipation, the void, etc. Right. Whichever one they are. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a little. I played during Ravnica, but I I don't remember ley line of blah blah. Right, and he just wants. Is that the contraption one? <laughs> yes, yes, oh, okay. it is a breaker. Okay. Um, so he wants to know, um, basically, if he is on the draw for the game. Does that mean that he puts it in onto the battlefield at the beginning of his first turn or before his turn begins? Or, or what's the timing like there? Right. Because beginning the game with it, for him, the game it feels like the game hasn't really begun until he's starting to, his first turn. Um, so he wants to know about that. Right. It may feel that way. But, you know, when you're, you're playing a game of Magic, it's not when the game begins for you. It's when the big game begins, period. It's when the game begins for both of you. Um, ley lines are a good, uh, you know, a lot of people get confused. So it's a good question to answer, um, because a lot of people may make this mistake. They may draw their opening seven, uh, start talking about mulligans. And then one guy goes, Oh, I got a ley line, put the ley line down. And then it's like, Oh, okay, well I'm going to take a mulligan. The other guy could go, Oh yeah, I'm going to mulligan too. <laughs> right. And end up with something like five ley lines in play. And yeah, Exactly. Right, including no, leyline of blah blah, and then you know that's right. Then you've got a deck problem on top of this. No, yeah. Um, so so it yeah. is it is a confusing uh, right. leylines are a little confusing. Right. So that you, we're talking. Your about. opening hand is the hand you decide to keep, keep and start the game with. Right. If you're deciding not to start the game with this hand, then you, it's not your opening hand. Right. And any leylines in it won't matter because you're mulliganing, you're shuffling them back in. Right. So uh, the leylines come into play. After everyone's taken their mulligans, but before the actual game begins, before whoever's going first actually goes first and goes through their, you know, upkeep, skips their draw, and and uh, and starts uh, laying lands and so on. Right. So, uh, so yeah. Okay. This is uh, a quick question from Craig in Michigan. Mm -hmm. um, Craig wants to know, how do Eldrazi spawn and convoke interact? Can I tap them and sacrifice them? I'm guessing no, but wanted a clarification. Oh, that's a that's a good question too. So, Craig, let's start answering your question by just reading the uh, comp rules entry for convoke. Uh, Always helps, right? If you're interested, the rule the rule number is seven hundred two point four eight. So, convoke is a static ability that functions while the spell with convoke is on the stack. It means that as an additional cost to cast this spell, you may tap any number of untapped creatures you control. Each tapped creature this way reduces the cost to cast this spell by one or any one mana of any of the, that creature's colors. Right. So it follow, follows the rules for paying additional costs. Um, and that just references the, all the rules where the, that shows up. So you're using Convoke when you're paying for a spell. 
So going back to our longest lightning bolt ever right. discussion, when you pay for a spell, just before you pay all the costs in any order, right. you need to activate mana abilities. Yeah, that's where you tap the land. Right, you tap the and land. in this case, you sack would, the uh, Eldrazi spawn. Right, so you'd have to sack the Eldrazi spawn in order to get the mana from them, so they're not going to be around when you're going to pay all the costs in any order. Right. So you'll need to either choose which one you're going to use them for, either tapping them for the Convoke or sacrificing them for the mana. Right, uh, pretty confusing, and you need you sort of need to know the Convoke wording to know that it's, right. you know, you, you use them to pay for the cost. Right, and there was a card out in a Wild Cantor, um, right in in dissension, I think, or not dissension in um, yeah in dissension or guild guild pact, right. where it would sacrifice for one mana of any color, and it was also in the same set with all the convoke stuff. Right, so right. that created a lot of confusion. Um, that's where I first learned about this rule. And that's how you know I was just really beginning to be a judge around that time. So um, that's that's my first exposure to it. But it applies to the old drowsy spawn just as well. Right. Yeah, and that and that one's pretty confusing because mm-hmm. like you have you have uh, cards that reduce the cost of things, and when you go to decide what the cost of something is, that's before you activate the you know, man abilities to pay for it. Mm-hmm. So you know, convoke is helping pay the cost. So when you finally go to pay the cost, is when convoke comes comes into play. Right, right. So yeah, all these all these uh, steps. I think, you know, I got to tell you, that lightning bolt, in, in hindsight, it's one of my favorites. It really yeah. is. It was so yeah, much fun. It's something that comes up. Um, okay. Quick question here uh, from Tom. Um, Tom says he's from Antarctica. So Tom from Antarctica has this question about... He, he really said that? He says, thanks, Tom from Antarctica. Sweet. Okay. So we're covering... That's a whole new continent for us, man. High five. High five. Okay. Um, so... Quick question about swans. Uh, he's talking about swans of Bryn Argyll. Uh, from, was it Shadowmoor? Uh, it was from Shadowmoor, yeah. yeah. So, um, although he's really asking a question about the stack, but if his opponent has a swans and seismic assault in play, and he uses seismic assault's ability to shoot a land at it, um, and then he responds by shooting three more lands at it, um, what he wants to know um, is that if he casts snake form in response to the first seismic activation, so so really what it is is his opponent says, okay, I'll throw a land at my swans, and Tom says, oh, well, great, I'll snake form the swans. So they'll lose the ability that they have, and then they'll, the damage will kill them, and right. draw the cards, all that great stuff. And so his opponent says, oh, I'll throw three more lands at it really quickly here. What he wants to know is that when he gets to draw the lands, from the damage being prevented by the swans and right, you know. right. So if he draws the draws cards from all of that, can his opponent then, if he draws more lands in those extra three activations, can he then go in and say, okay, I'll you know use those lands that I drew, throwing them at the swans all on top of all before the snake form resolved. Oh right. Right. So he wants to know, does that work? Yeah, yeah. Um, the way the stack works, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, everybody can respond to it. Um, and once something resolves, you, the active player gains priority. Again. Mm-hmm. So after you've resolved, say, the first throw, if you drew a land, you mm-hmm. can say, okay, well, the rest of my throws are on the stack. I'll throw this one at it. Right. You know, and of course, at the same time, his opponent can respond to that throw and go, oh, well, I'll snake form it now. Right. You know, if you had an extra snake form in hand. 
Yeah, the the really when you get into that sort of a situation, both players need to communicate very clearly about yeah. you know when they're passing priority, how many things they're putting on the stack at once. Because I mean, if for instance, in a moment of carelessness, the seismic assault player empties his hand, throwing all of his lands at, at the swan at once, and says, "Okay, here's five lands at it." Right. And then you say, "Okay, well, with those five activations on the stack, then I'll snake form it." Right. Well, then basically that, you know, there's going to be a communications issue there because, yeah. of course, that player uh, throwing all five lands at it, you know, he's he's not going to think, well, yeah, I'm just doing that at, all at once. Now, at a competitive event, we may hold him to that saying, right. it looks like, you, you know, they, they there is a portion of the rules, though, that says that if you do not explicitly retain priority between activating abilities, if you're just adding a bunch of things to the stack, then if your opponent wants to intervene, they can. Now, in this situation, though, it's to your opponent's advantage not to intervene and just say right. to, to do that. Um, but because you're not explicitly retaining priority, you could make the argument that... Yeah, right. You're just yeah, there's, there, there's definitely a communications issue there because you, you drop the five lands and say, I'm going to hit my swans right. five times. And then your opponent goes, okay, well, in response to the, the, to the top one, I'll snake form it. And then you'll be like, oh, well... You know, I didn't explicitly retain priority, so I'm going to throw one land at it. Is that okay? Can it resolve? And, and you know, that's you get into that sort of thing. So Right, right. Okay. Well, so aside from the, the rules questions, we've covered quite a few rules questions. Um, and I'm going to kind of, you know, we're going to call a few that we've got in here um, just because there are so many rules questions we all answer we've answered all these questions also offline right um so these folks that have sent us you know their rules quandaries and other things those have all been answered right um but in the interest of time i wanted to move on to a few other sets of questions that aren't related to uh the rules specifically and more talk about judging okay so um seems like a good show to write into for that what do we call this one again um Began with a J. I don't know. Ricky named it. Something cast. Yeah. Jerk cast. <laughs> okay. Let's see here. Well, we have, first off, some really awesome news. Um, and this is from Ronald. Uh, Ronald is in Canada. Uh, he doesn't say where, though he um, he's near Montreal, it would seem, because Ronald just became a level one judge. Sweet. Congratulations, Ronald. Yes. Congratulations, sir. Um, at the Montreal M11 pre-release, he wanted to let us know, um, and um, he actually says partly thanks to us. Uh, he was motivated to get certified and pass his test. Well, wait, we're, we're, we're as motivating uh, to that stuff as uh, a book you would read or the comp rules, really. Mm -hmm. He took the initiative to do it, so we're throwing it right back at you. Yeah, yeah. And he, um, let's see, he also has uh, a question, actually. Um, and that is about how much he should be explaining things at a uh, regular rules enforcement level event versus a competitive one. So, That's for instance, the pre-release versus the PTQ, how, what's the difference in how you answer a question? Right. That's a, that's a good question. That's mm -hmm. one of those things that um, you would normally find the answer uh, under the mentorship of the judges that you studied under. Really, well, right, right. That, that now, sort of thing is easier to explain just like by example or, or you know, a few guidelines. Well, I think a great example of this um, is, I don't want to open up Esper Charm Gate again too much, but Esper Charm is a great example of this. 
Um, well, actually, it's actually kind of a bad example come to think of it because ultimately we'd still get to the mode that the player intended yeah. to choose. The question is that at a pre-release, say the pre-release for shards, you know, somebody casts Esper Charm and say, target myself. If the opponent's being a dick about it and says, so you're discarding two, right? Judge, he said he's discarding two. At a regular rules enforcement level event, there are two things at work. First is that it's primarily an educational thing. Right. So, we're, you know, even if he thinks he's, you know, ultimately at the end of the day in the, com- in the competitive rules enforcement level and the regular, it's going to be the same outcome. Yeah. You should, in the right ruling, get the guy to draw the two cards if yeah. that's what he intended to do. Right. The, By well, the, the, asking him right, what mode? What mode did you choose? That's that's still going to be the same question, but you have a slightly different approach, um, and that is that at the regular rules enforcement level event, I can ask him, "What did you mean to do here? You know, what what were you trying to do when you cast this spell?" And if he says, "Well, I was trying," you know, he can say, "Well, I was going to draw two cards," or you know, of course, I. I I don't have any cards in my hand and I want two more. Something like that. Then we'll say, okay, so this is the mode you meant to choose. In the future, also, modes are chosen this way, and this is how a modal spell works. Um, you know, going through, going through that, and you see how this one says it doesn't target? Well, then you don't need to actually say target. It was confusing with your opponent when you said this. Okay, fine, go on with your game. At a competitive rules enforcement level event, we have the same ends that we're going toward, but it's a different means. Right. Um, and that is that Instead of saying, what did you mean to do, we would say something like, what mode did you choose? Because we expect them at that level to know what, what modes are, right? know about modal spells, that sort of thing. Um, so, and, and if they said, you know, the, the mode that targets me, <laughs> you know, okay, uh, okay, well, you're discarding. Yeah. Um, you know, but if you're, you know, if they say, you know, the mode that draws, or, you know, I want to draw cards, then okay, we, we can get to that same result. Right. Um, so that's that's how we go through that. Um, the, the main thing uh, comes down to you can't really help somebody at a PTQ. Right. You can't help them get to the answer they want. They need to know what that answer is already. Yeah. Um, when they're trying to figure out that sort of an issue. Um, and also, um, you run into this much more frequently at a competitive level event where, you know, a great example of this is how big is my opponent's Tarnogorf? <laughs> right? Yeah. The, the correct answer at a PTQ is, well, its power and toughness is equal to, its power is equal to the number of card types in all graveyards, and the toughness is equal to one plus the number, number of card, card types in all graveyards. You know, that's information that you need to figure out for yourself. Yep. We can't count those for you. Yep. Um, now, if you have a specific question of, you know, how many card types does it, does Bitter Blossom count for, I can answer that question. That question, you know, you can say, yeah, it's two card types there, tribal and sorcery. It's it's both, or tribal and enchantment, it's yeah. both of those. Um, at a pre-release or a F&M, when that question gets asked, how big is my opponent's Goyf? And I don't know why you'd play Goyf in an F&M these days, because it's not a card that's legal in any format that F&M gets played at, but... Let's say you do. Uh, you may run, you know, don't forget, FNMs are regular REL. You can run a, a double standard event. Because double standard, can, can you, can you, I don't think you can run double standard FNMs. Are you sure? I don't think you can run extended, extended for FNM. I think FNM is limited to two headed giant, standard, sealed, and draft. Oh, okay. The idea being that 
any player in the world can go to any tournament, any venue in the world and say, I have an expectation of what FNM is going to be. Right. And if I have a standard deck, I'm good to go. And if I don't, I'm good to go also. Right. Because it would be the limit. Right. That all you need to put in your backpack as you go up track and play FNM is right. your, your standard deck. Okay. Not FNM, but still. Some other regular yeah, rules enforcement some, level. Some other that. regular. You can, you, you can you know, sanction an uh, extended Saturday tournament or something. Yeah. Um, so in that sort of event, if it's regular, not using deck lists, um, usually, then instead you'll be saying things like, well, okay, we can count the creature yeah, types. So we can, we can help you count that up and you know use it as a teachable moment. Right. Okay. Yeah, so I guess the uh, touchstone to remember there is that you want to avoid strategic advice. Mm-hmm. You don't want to you, you don't want to ask questions that lead to strategic choices. Right. But often, you can, right. often at a competitive rules enforcement level event, uh, you know, the most many of the questions that get asked by players get answered with, "Can you ask me a rules question?" <laughs> exactly. That's, that's a that's a pretty common answer. Um, yeah. So it's it's completely fine to say, "Well, I need you to ask me a rules question." Mm-hmm. Um, Christopher um, doesn't tell us where. Oh, he's from Melbourne in Australia. Chris from Melbourne. Um, and I'm not going to read this in my Australian accent. I'm sorry, guys. Oh, come on, <sighs> Australian. You want to try this? Read it in Australian. <laughs> I don't even know what Australian accents are like. All right. Well, um, he says, hey, you guys. Um, really enjoy what you guys do. Keep it up, blah, blah, blah. Let's see. Just a shout-out for all the iPhone-using judges. And, and you'd be surprised at how many judges use a Droid or iPhone. They're basically all of them. <laughs> um, we, so, we are a techie group. And there is a, an MT, there is a, a iPhone app uh, called MTG Judge that re- contains a quick reference for the IPG. Um, and actually, the IPG is also available. Uh, you can just put it, um, for instance, if you have iBooks, um, you can put it in your PDF up in, in iBooks or any other e-reader. Um, plenty of other ways to do it. Um, some of the judges actually have a, an iSilo reader format for all, basically all of Oracle um, and, right. and a bunch of other formats. Um, but I mentioned this one specifically because it's actually a local guy here in Northern California that's developed this this app that we're getting an email from uh, Australia regarding. Oh, that's a small world, <laughs> right? Um, that judge is Alexi Gusev, and he uh, goes to school in Davis. Um, and he uh, made this MTG Judge app, um, and it's getting you know some some use, I guess. Uh, so Chris wanted to mention that to us. It's got the IPG in it, um, also some Oracle stuff, though I think he might have run into some legal trouble for including the, either the text or the pictures of the cards, so right. I don't know if those are still in the app or not, um, but I know the IPG is still in there. So um, that's so just a shout-out for Alexi uh, from Chris there. And, of course, you don't have to be a judge to get MTG judge. No, know. of course not. If you want to just have that handy on your phone, so your next... Uh, F and M or wherever you're, you want to be the rules guy at, mm-hmm. you can just be able to answer those questions. You know, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, um, yeah, you're gonna need a reference for ley line of blah blah. <laughs> right, ley line of blah blah. Okay, well, uh, this is from Pendergrast uh, in uh, Tampa, Florida, ah, home of uh, Armada Games and uh, Sheldon Minery. Indeed. Indeed, it is. So cool. I am in awe of. Uh huh. He's he's a pretty pretty freaking awesome judge. Um. So, Pendergrast has two questions. 
Um, one, he says, I know you spend quite a bit of time on your webcast covering level one judges and how to become one, some general guidance on people looking to become a judge. Can you do a quick overview of judges level two through five so we have a better appreciation for the value they bring to the community? That is a spectacular question. I think so. I think we should go into this a little bit. Yep, I okay. agree. And so, as a level one, I will pass the ball to you. <laughs> well, I, actually, uh, I think you can contribute some here because whether or not you know it, you benefit from the work of level two, three, four, and five judges all the time, um, just like every other player does, but also every other judge. Right. Um, a great example of that is the work that not just level five Toby Elliott did in the IPG and streamlining it for it and making our lives a lot easier, um, but also all the level threes that went into creating some of the policy and, and, and providing some of the feedback and, you know, uh, the ideas that went into the changes for the IPG whenever that came up. Um, the whole process, there's a whole lot of other things that the judges do um, at each of the different levels. So mm-hmm. um, I guess a quick overview, though. Um, level two, that's what I am. Um, level two is something that generally, um, well, like any promotion, you get to it by doing the work and then getting recognized. And basically it's a recognition of doing the work, not necessarily saying, okay, now we'll make you a level two. Now you can go start doing level two things. Right. Um, and that's the same for level three, level four. Um, so level two is basically taking, um, your community a bit more seriously and a bit more broadly than most L1s will, where you decide to grow your community in some way. Um, You start mentoring other people on the path to becoming judges. And you take that to a point where you can say, okay, this person's ready to test. Um, Or this person, you you can answer questions, not just from the technical sense of, well, this is what happens in this interaction between the two cards um, or this is why this is the penalty that you're going to get for a deck problem at this you know competitive event here instead what you actually go to is being able to explain why things are so you know level one is kind of the the nuts and bolts of what happens you know you, you, the what is is it's all about the what right you know um, and level two is a little bit more about the why you know, well, drawing extra cards is a game loss because there's a great potential for advantage. And we can talk about that a little bit more in depth or um, and explain that to a judge in a way that the judge feels confident about going out to a player and saying, unfortunately, you're getting a game loss for this. Right. And and being more confident in that than just saying, well, the IPG tells me to and that's why I do this. Right. Um, so taking that explanation a, a bit further. Um also, level two judges expand their region a little bit. You know, instead of being confined mostly to one local store or one or two local venues, level one, you know, level one judges are normally in that that sort of a scope of work. Um, level two judges broaden it a bit. You know, um, for me, I've got nine stores in the area here that all run Friday Night Magic, um, and that's within about twenty miles of my front door. All of those, um, yeah. I either know the owners at the stores or I've visited them and talked to them, got, you know, judges at each that I'm trying to work on getting certified at some level, um, not just to kick Spain's ass, but also just to, <laughs> just because it's important for the program as a whole to, to grow that way and to have fair, consistent play 
enforced across across the region. Um, when you get to level three, um, it's much more than that. Um, you actually start debating policy. You start debating, you know, how can the program be improved uh, as a whole? Where, where, you know, you get much more meta about judging um, and the program and the way that we do things. So um, this is also where your roles at higher level events, premier events like Grand Prix and Pro Tours comes in, where you're much more likely at a level three to be a team lead on one of the days there. Or you'll be um, yeah, a team lead or you know, an XO maybe, um, you know, right-hand man for the head judge. Um, you know, more likely to take on that sort of role um, and really shape how those bigger events, um, sometimes they call them shows, how those go. Um, and, and level three is really the bread and butter of the program because they, they hold the program together. Um, and they also have a much more regional capacity to involve themselves. Um, here in Northern California, we don't have a level three anymore now that Ricky's out of the picture. Yeah. Um, and he, and he's missed. We make we make fun of him, but he he's he's a guy that you know talking about how uh, a judge sort of grows into his higher level. Mm -hmm. Ricky Ricky's always been a guy that that stretched the bounds of right. And of, even uh, though he's still level three, yeah, you know now it's still kind of like he's kind of leveled up to go <laughs> start studying and work there because that's I mean God, what judge wouldn't love that for a dream job? Yeah. Um, so yeah, so judges take. At level three, take on that higher role. Um, also, for level to get to level one, um, you know, there's a test. Seventy uh, percent is the passing grade on that test, um, and then the tests get harder. You know, and some of the policy, some of the tests are policy, some of the tests are uh, policy questions and rules questions. Then the tests get harder as you go up in level. Uh, for level two, uh, passing I think is eighty percent, um, and the questions are all a little bit harder. Yeah. Uh, for level three, um, there's also a test, um, and then also an interview. Um, and the interview is, is I think, more critical for level three passing uh, than necessarily level two or level one. Level one, the interview is kind of important because you want to get a sense of, you know, well, yeah, you know your rules, you know your stuff, but are you really here for the right reasons? Right. That's that's one of the questions that you know that we try to suss out when we're talking to a potential level one judge. Uh, to level two, we kind of know you're here for the right reasons because you've been a level one. We're considering you for L two. That's that we know you're here for the right reasons. At L two, we're trying to figure out you know where do you want to go with this? What right. do you want to contribute to the program? Why do you think you need to be L two? Um, you know what what does that mean for you? And because making something L two just because they want to level up and get an extra player rewards packet in the mail. <laughs> That's the wrong reason. You yeah. know, um, you have to want it more. Um, and becoming an L3, um, you know, the interview isn't, and I, I, we can't really talk too much about what, what's in the interview, number one, because I haven't taken it, um, <laughs> but also because uh, these interview contents are usually confidential. Just, just like the um, exam questions. Right. Uh, I mean, the, basically, you, you hear stories about Kobayashi Maru and other <laughs> stuff, um, but, you know, all in a very vague, confidential sort of way, um, which I understand the mystery around some of those parts of the program. Um, you know, you don't want there to be some sort of a cliff notes to the interview that somebody can take. Right. Um, you know, so, but the interview is more important there because at that point, you're kind of getting closer to the inner circle. Yeah. 
Um, now for level four, level five, there is no exam. Um, in fact, for level four and level five, they don't tell you that you're leveling up until they announce it. <laughs> um, so, so that's a, what happened to, to JMO? That's what happened to JMO. That's what happened to Adam Shaw. That's what happened to Lems. Um, I was there for that. Um, honored to be there for that. Uh, when Lems was leveled up to four at Poetra San Diego, um, you know, all, all these other, basically anytime, and there are other level fours that I'm, I'm missing here, but um, when they level up, it's because there's a specific program need that they are going to fulfill. They're being called up for. Um, and that is, it's also something where the, the program needs their skill set, um, and they've shown dedication above and beyond. For, and not, not to say that any L3 is not showing dedication, because we all do, right. um, level 2 and, and 3. Uh, but that, that really is a you know, level 4 is sort of recognition of this above and beyond. Um, but also because they need a specific skill set for a specific area, um, and or and it may just you know it may be for a, a number of reasons similar to that. Uh, level five, um, there's only four of them in the world. Um, they are the heads of the program for each of the pillars um, of the program, and and that's probably all, all they're going to be. I would expect for for a while. I mean, if that changes, fantastic, but. Um, you know the way the program is structured right now kind of needs those those four pillars. Those are the career guys, you know. They, well, yeah, and, and I mean, you may see somebody go emeritus at some point, right. uh, where they kind of take a step back from active judging, but they're still part of the program. We still love them, um, and and you know that's kind of the next level is yeah, emeritus, um, and that's basically just that. Okay, you've contributed to the program. You know, retire, take your time. Yeah. Uh, we're still going to call you when we want some help, <laughs> but um, active contribution to the program at that point is, you know, right. kind of falls off, and we take let somebody else have a turn at the wheel. Right. Um, so I guess I've kind of gone on a lot about each of those each of the levels there, but that's a, well, that's exactly what they asked. And yeah, man, how how hard is that? That to become a level four is like it's like Neo becoming the one. <laughs> well, and you, you know, just you just are, and and you get called for it. Well, and part of that is is kind of scary too, because you see a lot of L threes that really work their asses off, really work hard. You're like, wow, how is that person not L four yet? Or, or you know, you, you see that, and you're like, wow, it's it's really, you know, some you know someday they'll get called up, and then you know it seems like it at the pro tour dinner you're sitting there thinking like, so who is it this time? Or, or is it going to be anybody this time? Or is it going like, to be I think Ricky mentioned in one of our episodes a while ago that, you know, at uh, yeah, at San Juan, where Adam and Jeff and, and a couple others got leveled up, that was the most L4s they'd, they'd called up ever in one, in one sitting. And, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, there's, there's that, that sort of feeling of like, okay, well, they called up, you know, two guys and I wasn't one of them, so I guess I'm not going up this time. And then they called it a third and a fourth. And, you know, I think that was for dramatic effect that Adam Shaw was the last person they called up. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I think that's um, – oh, by the way, I had a, the, the occasion to actually meet and, and talk with Adam more in depth um, at Ricky's Going Away Party. Um, believe it or not, Adam Shaw – he's from Connecticut. Oh. The last minute he decided to fly out for Ricky's party. Flew out to Oakland – from Ricky for for Ricky's party for the weekend, 
um, you know, saw the bay, whatever, you know, gained some, some flying miles. Right. He, he's like George Clooney with, uh, just like Ricky's like George Clooney. Yep. Um, but yeah, I actually got to sit down with him. And for you JudgeCast listeners, this may also be of use, um, that we may be getting distributed through the DCI family website at some point in the future. Oh, that's great. Um, he and I talked about that and, um, you know, cause this really is part of, you know, the broader DCI family is what, I mean, that's really what we're all about here is outreach and, and bringing people into the DCI family at some point. So, okay. Well, we have a lot of questions answered there. Um, I feel like that we've done pretty good for the mailbag. Yeah, the, the Star City 10K in Denver, I was there. Um, it was a freaking awesome time. Denver's a beautiful place. All three blocks of it that I saw. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful place. Um, no, and it's, it's uh, <sighs> dry. Stay, hy- stay hydrated a lot of the time when you're up there. You right. drink a lot, a lot, a lot of water. Especially judges. Um, I mean, they're on their feet, you know, all yeah. the time running around. Yeah, our, our head judge for the first day there, Mike King, was very adamant about making us all, uh, you know, hydrate very frequently. Um, brought cases and cases of water into the venue so for us judges to, to drink. Um, and we had um, something like 300 players for that first that first day's event, that standard standard, standard open, portion. Um, for the legacy portion, I think we only had about 160, um, which is a smaller turnout than I think they would have wanted, um, but it was still a good turnout and still a, a fun time. Uh, Wizards and Star City did not communicate on what weekends they would be running these big events. Ooh. Wizards' big event being uh, Nationals. Yes, that is true. <laughs> And Wizards ran it in Minneapolis, which is only about a six-hour drive from Denver. Wow. So basically you had two large events happening, and both of them kind of got hammered because neither of them was as big as it could have been if they had been on separate weekends. So especially being in the same geographic region, more or less, um, that's like having, you know, a 10K in L.A. and, you know, Nationals in San Francisco. Like, that's that would have really just, you know, Turnout at both would have sucked. Yeah, and then we would have won both of them because I mean, you saw that national showing. Right? So yeah, no, there there were some there were some awesome times though in Denver. I had a blast. Met a lot of judges. Uh, met a lot of fans up there too. Uh, folks that listen to the podcast were like, "So are you guys putting out new content or what?" Um, that's yeah. nice. That's nice. Of them. And you know, of course, they recognize you because you're on all our promotional mm-hmm. material. Well, I, I also got to meet Chris Otwell from MTG Cast. Up oh, there, cool, cool. Uh, one of our hosts. Um, so he's awesome guy. Um, Got to sit down also with the GGS Live crew and do a little bit of coverage with them. Um, at between, uh, let's see, round five of the Legacy event, uh, the the match they were covering was Goblins versus Merfolk, which Merfolk has a real, real, real big problem with Goblin Piledriver. Uh, yeah. Not much they can do about it. And it was over in all of, you know, ten minutes. So uh, they needed something to fill the air, and they said, uh, let's bring this judge guy in here. He can talk, talk to us about what happened on the standard thing yesterday. So that's what I did. I did the coverage thing with them. Um, we did certifications also on day two. Uh, we had four level ones certify, um, one of which is actually from the local area here in California. He, he started off in Santa Rosa, which is maybe two hours east of or two hours west of here. Right. Um, and he was part of a crew of people that play um, at. I want to say Outer Plains is the name of the, the store. It's in Santa Rosa, or Petaluma, rather. Um, and Jeff Meadows, Arthur Halavez, 
and Merlin Catterall Davis are all certified judges from the same very closely knit playgroup. Well, Joseph McGough is from the same group. He moved out to Denver, and he hadn't certified. And so he was kind of a walk-up on day two. He said, hey, I'd like to certify. Hey, I'd like to work with you guys. Um, and I knew him from, from back out here. Um, and, you know, we kind of showed him the ropes, walked him around, made sure he didn't make a fool of himself. He did great. Um, first time sitting down with the L1 exam, he uh, did better than all three of the people I just mentioned. Oh, wow. He showed up all of his buds. Um, I can't tell you his score exactly, but he did awesome. Um, his power level was over 9,000. <laughs> right. He did fantastic. So uh, Denver has another great L1 in their midst there. They have another L1 um, in Ryan LeCount, uh, another guy that I certified while out there. Um, Ryan was also fantastic. Um, and he, he really, um, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, you see somebody at their first big event, um, you give him a few pointers. The next day, Ryan came back. He had done his homework. He had spent the night reading the IPG, taking practice tests, was really on his game day two compared to day one. Even though day one, he really didn't have any big issues. Right. Um, it really turned out like, I mean, it was one of those things where mentoring in L1, you really see the difference from one day to the next. And he was just, he was on it. He was awesome. Um, so that's two awesome L1s that I certified. Um, beyond that, there were two other L1s that were certified um, that day. Um, and, no, oh, we had an L2 certified also moving up from L1. Um, so that was fantastic. Um, really, it was awesome. So, yeah, we had four uh, L1s certified. And, and then Eli Schifrin, the legacy head judge, right. um, made sure that they all got cake. Oh, man. Got them a cake, um, which was fantastic. So I, I didn't get cake, but you did give me a Vindicate, which I will love and treasure forever. That's true. That's true. I, I yes, I, I make it a practice that when I can, um, and when I have the spirit judge foils, uh, especially if, uh, when our certification is meaningful like that one was, um, to to make sure that you know a judge gets a foil on certification if I can at all. It's uh, it, it, it's not just a foil. It was it was just the right thing. It was just great. It's one of those. It's one of my favorite cards because of that. How mm -hmm. long I've been sort of on the wings waiting to become a judge to, to get my wings as it were and and for it to be like a vindicate well, it's, I felt like that guy I totally <laughs> did well and I, I did pick the vindicate for that reason um, it wasn't just a oh, random judge for it. it was yes vindicate was the right pick um, yeah so congratulations to all those L1s that certified and the L2 uh, Kyle um, a really fantastic time out there um, beyond that, the event itself was really a lot of fun to, to run and be a part of. Um, Ricky was scorekeeping it, of course. We talked about him a little bit. Um, Jared Silva kind of running the tournament. Um, we also had Nick Saban, uh, who was you know basically the three Star City staffers that were in charge of the whole thing. Did a fantastic job. Um, they treat like uh, I remember with Luis Fernandez, who is uh, he's an L two out, out, out of Oakland. Yeah. Um, and he and I both kind of agreed at the end of day two, we were kind of looked at each other and said, you know, they run anything like this in California or on the West Coast or e anywhere east, anywhere west of the Mississippi, you know, we're going. And if they do that at all next year, we're going to those because, you know, they're taking care of us. They did, then they did a good job. But beyond that, I want to talk a little bit about the event itself. Right. We had, uh, toward the end of day one, the, the end of the standard open, 
um, it was apparent that we were going to have two kids, two minors, two people under the age of 18 in top eight. One of these is 12 years old, a kid by the name of Zach Cole. 12 years old. 12 years old. Um, and I'll give you one guess as to what he's playing. Uh, Jund? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. That, that makes sense. You know, you say that, and yeah, he did, he, you know, he, he, all day long, he dodged obstinate bailoffs, didn't really run into many problems with things like that. Um, you know, he, he did a, he, he did get some luck involved with that, but I got to tell you, I saw the kid's sideboard and he didn't need notes. Um, he knew what decisions to make. He made them quickly and, and he, he got back in the game. Like he, he wanted to play magic and he knew what he was doing. Um, later on, kind of asked him, like, how long have you been playing? Since, since he was three years old. Wow. I guess his dad. Was... <laughs> He's been playing for nine years. And his dad, his dad was standing behind him, um, you know, in, in, in the last couple rounds, you know, just watching his son play. Um, and you could see him just brimming with pride. Wow. Just, just beaming. He was, he was just so proud of his son. And because his son, I mean, you know, at the end of the Swiss rounds, his son was eight and one. So wow. Zach was actually top number one after the Swiss. Oh man, that's so first that's so seed awesome. in the top eight. Um, he did he did a, a, just a fantastic job, um, but at the same time, um, the judging staff ran into some issues with how to treat a twelve year old player. Um, and this is something that we ran into um, that we we weren't really anticipating, and we didn't notice that it was a problem until uh, we started to get involved in the enforcement side of what we do as judges. Um, that is giving warnings, giving penalties, noticing problems, trying to fix those. Um, and what had happened um, is that as he's shuffling up um, in the middle of uh, his, in between games you know, one and two of his ninth round match, at this point he's seven and one, um, you know, playing for his seat in top eight, um, he's shuffling up, and we're noticing that as he shuffles, um, he's bringing, you know, he's, he's kind of mashing the cards together, but in order to get them into the two halves that he needs to mash together, he, his hands are pretty small to handle the cards. And so he brings the, the whole deck up to his chest, and he separates it, and as he's separating it, the two cards that are on the bottom of the two stacks he's making are face up, facing him. Now, he's not looking at them. We can see that. He's not looking at them. Um, he's not deriving any information from them. Uh, he's not cheating at all. This isn't manipulation of game materials, but it is insufficient shuffling. Because right. as soon as he's exposing those to his face, he's negating all the randomization he's done. Yeah. And then he's just doing one pile, one one sort of mash together, and you know he does it again a few times. But every time, it just resets the randomization, and then he does it once and he presents. So that's insufficient shuffling. So you know we gave him we gave him that one. Um, and said, okay, we need you to shuffle some more and shuffle so that you can't see the, the, you know, the faces of your cards. Um, and as we're doing this, he's starting to take longer in making the shuffling and making it happen. Um, now, he's already made his sideboarding decisions. He's already decided that he, he, the play decisions that come into the game of how you play the game of Magic, he's got those down. The only obstacle he's running into is that he's taking now too long to present 
and he's taking too long because he, his hands are just too small. Right, he just can't. He, he's, he's 12 years old. He cannot shuffle a magic deck with in the sleeves like this on a cloth, you know, on a tablecloth. Um, I mean, forget the pressure around him. Um, and, and there was a lot of pressure. You could see that that first warning sort of sort of put him on tilt a little bit. How, you know, his face got all red, and it was he was he had a hard time with it initially. Um, he, he was able to kind of quell that demon a little bit, but then we, we come in and say, okay, you know, you've been shuffling for one more than three minutes here. You realize you're trying to shuffle sufficiently here, but this is slow play. Wow. Okay. So so as 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 uh, this and, and I was the logistics team lead. Um, and one of my judges was sort of making this call here. Um, and as she, you know, as she starts to talk to him, she sorts of, this is Karen Fang, uh, Nick Fang's wife, uh, level two from Seattle. Um, she has this great um, realization that, you know, this is going to be a problem. It's going to keep him from playing the game, really. That if we really enforce this to the, to the proper extent, we're going to end up giving this kid a game loss. And, and, that seems and feels wrong, not because of his age, not because of his experience, but because the thing that's doing it to him is that he has a physical limitation. I mean, we had another player there in a wheelchair. Standard practice for a person in a wheelchair at a Magic tournament is that you give them fixed seating. You give them a reasonable accommodation. Right. You know, that way they don't have to try to squeeze down an aisle in a wheelchair. That way they can stay in one position and have their opponents come to them because that's the most efficient way for the tournament to run, and it's the best customer service for that player and that player's opponents. Right. So, what we do is we approach Zach and his dad and said, you know, um, we have we have an issue here, um, but we're going to treat it as though you've asked for us to accommodate you because the fact that you simply cannot do this that's showing us that. You know, in order to play this game, you're going to need a little bit of help. So we're going to help you for the rest of round round nine here. We're going to have a judge. When your deck needs to be shuffled, a judge will shuffle it for you. And in top eight, when your deck needs to be shuffled, a judge will shuffle it for you then too. Um, and once you're done with round nine here, come talk to me, and we're going to go over a, a few things just so you understand what you're getting into with top eight and how this is going to work. Right. Okay, because it's one of those other things that being 12 years old, we want him to use going into a high-pressure environment, um, and we want to maintain tournament integrity, and it's it's one of those things where he needs to be briefed on it, and his dad needs to be briefed on it, what exactly is going to happen, why it's going to happen. So <clears throat> we sit him down. Um, and he. So first off, um, he wins his... Ninth, his ninth round match in the Swiss. Right, 8-1. Um, yeah, goes 8-1. Um, he finishes first in the Swiss. Um, and there were a couple great, great moments in this. Uh, when his opponent conceded the game, um, just, you know, said, yeah, you, you got me. Um, his opponent, after losing to a 12-year-old in such a high-pressure match, um, showed the, the utmost sportsmanship, extended his hand, um, they were both very, very good to one another, um, and there was this. It, they were one of the last matches playing uh, because we interrupted them for this, right. these warnings. Um, and you know, his dad is standing behind him, and his dad isn't. You know, his his dad is welling up with tears of just just completely genuine pride. Um, and his everybody around him actually just you know applauded. At the end of this match, both for both guys because they, they conducted themselves very very well for the situation, um, 
you know, but especially for Zach, of course. Yeah. Um, and then you had Jared Silva call him over and, you know, call, call him over to the podium, uh, to the stage. And he's standing there in front of the bike stand. Um, Jared, Jared is reading off the standings and there's this sort of, you know, polite distance that everybody keeps from Zach as he's just standing there, you know, up looking up at the stage. And when Jared starts to read the standings, um, you know, he, the top eight announcements are always good. Um, But this one was special because you could just see this, you know, Zach's face light up when his name was at the top of that list in first place with, you know, with 24 points, you know, and and that's, that's, uh, yeah, there's just no, no better moment than that. I think for me, in the whole tournament, watching that happen. Um, now, after that, um, you know, the people that had made top eight had to sort their decks and, and hand them over for a, sort of a courtesy right. check for, you know, making sure they match the lists, everything else. And that's typical in the top eight for this sort of event. Um, so, you know, I sat down with Zach and his dad, and as we're sorting his deck, um, I say, okay, you know, we've sorted your deck, that's fine, let's pack it up, hand it off to this judge who's going to go perform the deck check. But I need to sit down and talk with you a little bit more about what's going to happen here for Top 8. Um, and also, more about this whole shuffling thing that we ran into, um, to make sure that you understand that um, when that judge is sitting next to you, um, there's going to be a judge sitting next to every match in the Top 8. Right. They're not there to get to catch you on, on you know, that. they're not there to, you know, it's not a gotcha moment. They're there to help. That's what we're there for. Um, and in your case, we're actually doing a special sort of help and that we're going to be shuffling for you. Um, but what I need you to do is that when you get home, you're going to you know, sit down with your dad and we're going to find, out, find a way for you to shuffle, more, shuffle so that you can actually do this without having to um, you know, have, take too long and so you don't have to show the faces of the cards and so that you can get this down so that when you come in next time, You'll be prepared, and you'll have more confidence. You won't have to have us breathing down your neck, warning you. Right. Okay. Um, so we went over a few shuffling techniques. Um, we tried a few out with him. You know, he, he caught on with a couple of them very quickly. Um, and I think you know, in the next few events, the Zach and look out for Zach Cole um, in the Grand Prix circuit or <laughs> the other the other five K weekends. Uh, you know, in in the Midwest, there. Um, fantastic, fantastic little man. So that was awesome. Um, we had another, uh, another, I love, I love stories like that. I, yeah, I really do. I think that, you know, uh, that's something that, that, that kid's going to take with him mm-hmm. for a long time. How he took, he took his deck and, you know, uh, earlier when I said, you know, when I took a guess and said Jund, it's not because Jund is, is this easy deck. I mean, you, you still need a pilot and, you know, you still have to make sideboard decisions because it gets a lot of hate. Mm-hmm. So you need to know how to fight that. So, um, you know, it's a powerful deck. So when you lay your cards down, you're you're the aggressor. So right. it's kind of like other people need to conform to you, you know. Yeah, you don't need to make that decision that Mike Flores talks about all the time of, are you the controller or are you the yeah. aggro? It's pretty pretty straightforward yeah. with John. That, hey, you're the aggro. Yeah. Yeah, there's only there's only one role that uh, uh, an artilleryman plays, and that is shooting. <laughs> you know, that's that's how I see John. So you know, it's it's uh, it's awesome to see uh, you know play skill that young. Yeah. He obviously well, has experience, and I'm happy that he takes that with him. Yeah, well, and he, you know, he he did lose in the top eight. He lost in the quarterfinals. 
Um, finishing fifth, uh, fifth through eighth is all, all about the same. Um, so that was his placement. But when he lost that match, even, um, he was happy. Well, he, he, the first words out of his mouth were, I think, so can I get my check now? Um, <laughs> but, but really he was, he was really, um, you know, he was a really, you know, a happy camper, not, not at all disappointed with his performance. And rightly so. I mean, there were, you know, 300 players that didn't do quite so well. Right. Um, and he did. In- including eight of them, which he made not do so well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, eight of them that, that lost to him. Uh, actually, that was another thing, that, that his opponents, his previous round opponents, came up to him afterward. Um, they, I saw one of them actually ha- had him sign their Sovereigns of La Solara. Um, oh, wow. So he had, be- he had beaten this guy's mythic deck earlier in the day and uh, asked Zach to sign a couple of his cards for him. Yeah, um, and, and you know he doodled on him or something a little bit too, um, and actually the 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 special thing at the end of this all was that once Zach was out of the top eight, um, you know Jared Silva went back and uh, printed out a page of the final Swiss standings um, after round nine, um, and that final standings has Zach's name at the top of it, um, and he, he took a highlighter to it, and, you know highlighted Zach's name in first place. Um, and then he took it around to the judge staff um, and the coverage guys um, and the Star City staff and, and the head judge and everything else and, and had us all sort of sign it and write a little message on there. Um, that, is, that is awesome. That and, is awesome. Yeah, so, so he's got this now, um, this, this page of standings. Um, it's got Evan Irwin's name on it. It's got Rashad, you know, Rashad Miller's name on it. It's got, um, yeah, it's got uh, basically... A lot of the luminaries of magic and judging, and a lot of luminaries of magic and playing, um, and in, in media, he's got a lot of good names on there, um, and mine's on there too. Um, you know, along with some of the other judges, just you know, it was an honor judging the tournament for for this kid to do so well, um, and it really making it a formative experience for him in his career. That's that's exactly the word. It's a formative experience. It's something that he's going to take with him. Uh, Forever. And I and I love the fact that his dad was there. I love the fact that his dad gets to see what what that you know because magic is an investment of time. It's an investment of money. It has plenty of returns, mm-hmm. but every once in a while you get a moment where it's like you you cash out. You see mm-hmm. this and and it just you know it makes it it, it validates all the time that you spent yes. in a very real powerful way. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and and I could see that with his father. His, his uh, you know, I I get the sense that his father, um, you know, this they didn't expect to do well coming into the tournament that day. They they expected to you know have a good time, have some have some fun playing in a tournament together. Um, you know that he did that well is icing on the cake, and right. and that's the way it should be. I mean, it's one of those things that makes that reminds you that this is really a game. You know that that for all the competitiveness and the meta gaming and everything else, um, it's a game at its heart, um, and it, sometimes it takes a kid kicking some ass to uh, remind you of that. I love it. So so that was that. That's that's that cool. Um, and he he only got to top eight. Now there was another uh, young guy who made it to top four. Um, Shiloh Hertz. Uh, he I think was only about fifteen years old. Um, and we had a similar sort of issue, uh, with slow play. Um, but we could kind of determine that it wasn't the 
it wasn't the the uh, the quick decision making that uh, Zach was doing. It was actually he was taking a while to decide what to sideboard, taking cards in, taking cards out. You know, really taking a long time with that, um, which is you know any player of any age can make that error, um, and that's a so that was a justified sort of slow play. So just because you're a young kid doesn't mean you can get get out of slow play um, just because you're young. It's it's slow play between matches because you're making slow decisions or because you're having a hard time actually doing the physical action of shuffling. Right. Um, and it gets back to the philosophy of judging, and that is that ultimately we want the game of magic being played to determine the outcome of a tournament. Right. We don't want these technicalities to determine the outcome of a tournament. We want the game of magic being played. Part of the game of magic is making decisions, making them in a timely manner. So slow play warnings for that is fine. Um, and actually, after I approached Shiloh and said, okay, we're giving you a warning for slow play. You have three minutes between games here in the middle of the match to finish your sideboarding and present, shuffle and present. Um, and after I told him the three minutes, he, he hadn't, I had never heard that before. Right. Um, and he takes the, his watch, and every round after that, he was timing himself between games to make sure that he was on top of it. Um, and he even called his opponent on it a couple times for saying, you know, okay, you ready yet? Because it's been three minutes. Yeah, it, it, go, it goes both ways, right? Right, absolutely. So, um, so that was Shiloh. Um, Shiloh and Zach, again, two kids in the top eight at Denver. Um, yeah, kids are all right. Kids are all right. So we've talked a lot about Denver. Um, I guess that's kind of invigorated me a little bit more in coming back to this and recording again and, and making sure we uh, we get some content out to our listeners. Um but there's a lot more going on in the world of judging. Well, world sponsorships are about to be announced as we speak. They're they're kind of making some final decisions on that. I think uh, Pro Tour Amsterdam is going on right now. Yeah. Um, and you know it's the extended one, kind of a, that doesn't really matter a whole lot for the the F and Mers and stuff. Like there's not going to be any new tech that comes out of it, really. I think. Right. Um, but you know, it's funny uh, talking about um, the new extended a little bit. It always seemed like. That could be a really fun uh, format for deck builders. Um, mm-hmm. You know, sure. extended. You know, the longer, the longer. Uh, it's sort of a strange curve because legacy. You can play all these different types of decks, yeah. and they all have their angles of attack. And you just you can do well with any of them. Like you can play an old your old school goblin deck. Just throw a couple pile drivers out there, and you will wreck face. Um, standard breaks down to less decks, but you still get innovation. I mean, coming out of nowhere, like Soul Sisters is, you know, taking the world by storm. Conley Woods, again, yeah. showing, you know, he is the master rogue. <laughs> right? So, there's that, but Extended, kind of like, with this mix-up, has been kind of ignored. And I really think that um, that there's a lot of richness there. It's, you know, it's not just your standard decks, you know, uh, plus have. a few cards. Yeah, it's, well, yeah. it's not Fairies plus Mana League. Not just that. Well, yeah. you know, I was really looking forward to um, to seeing extended with this configuration of blocks that we have right now, including Time Spiral and and Shadowmore and the ones that we have in standard right now. Um, the thing is, I'm not so much looking forward to the next extended season without Time Spiral block. Right. I think taking a block out like that really um, takes away from the complexity. Granted, we're going to have you know Scars of Mirrodin in there, and we'll have more more cards to play with. Um, but I, I think taking those quantities out, those known quantities of Time Spiral, that, that really you can, you know, 
it, it's an ingredient set that uh, will make for an interest uh, a less interesting extended uh, I, in, I, in my mind. I, I agree. I'm, I'm a huge fan of Time Spiral. I know that it didn't go over that well. I guess you know, uh, sales wise, or, yeah, no. sales wise. But you know, I've been playing the game for a long time, and like I love it. That, that whole block was talking to me personally as a player, mm-hmm. like no set before it. Mm-hmm. Meriden was the last one that really like spoke to me because it's very you know Johnny. It's very, it has all these engine cards. You can build all sorts of wonky decks with it. Then Affinity came out and wrecked that. But, you know, if, if, if you're just playing casual, Mirrodin has so many cards. It is, it is really a lamentable thing that Affinity wrecked uh, people's enjoyment of that block. That's true. But Mirrodin really spoke to me, and Time Spiral really spoke to me. That's, what, that's part of the reason why I think I'm excited about this Extended, and I totally agree with you that the Extended coming up, it's got scars of Mirrodin. You know, I'm cautiously optimistic about it. Once I saw Proliferate, I'm like, this is either going to be really fun or just really busted. Well, I wonder if it, how many cards Proliferate will really appear on. Uh, and it's, it's Proliferate, a keyword, for those of you, well, yeah, keywords, but, you know, Sweep only appears on, like, five cards either. <laughs> true, um, true. I mean, so for those of you who don't know, Proliferate is a, a, a new keyword from Spars of Mirrodin. That was spoiled um, on a uh, Elspeth versus Tezzeret uh, card. Contagion class. Uh, and that one is, it's basically, uh, pay some mana, and when you proliferate, you pay some mana, tap the artifact. When you proliferate, you choose any number of uh, permanents uh, and, and, or and or players and uh, with with counters on them. And then you put another counter of the same type on it. Um, and, of and, any type it has. Right, of any type it has. So, so the idea would be that you can give a player another poison counter. Yep. Um, you can give... Uh, another creature, uh, another plus one, plus one, or minus one, minus one, or charge counter. The card, the card itself, when it comes into play, gives a creature a minus one, minus one counter. Right, because so. by itself, proliferate would be kind of awkward. Yeah. Uh, if it didn't have something to work with on an empty empty board. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's an interesting mechanic. Um, I also like the idea that it does not target, that the ability doesn't target. Yeah. Um, I think that um, is an interesting choice. Um, I, I like the flavor of that in in that you can't you know it, you it's, can't shroud away your sickness right that it's not a pinpointed sort of thing that it's a uh, that it's sort of a blanket malaise yeah or a blanket you know sort of sort of effect um i also like that it can have positive and negative connotations plus one plus one counters charge counters um, you know, you can also add ice counters to your opponent's dark depths. Yeah. Not like you're ever going to have that much mana, but no, that, yeah. that's true. But you can also, you can do crazy things, right? Your, uh, a cool one that I saw, I think on Twitter, uh, today was how gross it is with a Johnny Goldmane. Mm. A Johnny Goldmane, you give it, you go down one, give all your guys plus one, plus one counters and vigilance. Yeah. Use the Contagion class. Give him back the loyalty counter he lost, right. as well as all your guys get another plus one plus one counter. That's pretty pretty that, sick. That's that's kind of gross for four mana. Like right. that's that's kind of a beating. Nice. So yeah, so I I totally agree with you. Going back to the extended thing, I totally agree that Time Spiral was a fun block. That you know, I kind of I kind of suffered from the Meriden thing too. Like fairies was really mean there. Like you know, Rays of Hope with all those like elemental decks, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that that was kind of popular, but you still have no. It was fairies, yeah. No, it, it was. But it was fairies. Fairies kind of 
kind of ruined it just like Affinity ruined uh, Well, I, I think that's maybe one thing we can hold Maybe I'm attracted for. to uh, blocks with a bad streak. Well, you didn't really like Kamigawa, though. Uh, I I liked Kamigawa. Oh, I, I in fact um, okay. You will never hear me say that sentence. I know, I know. <laughs> uh, I liked things. it. I liked it from a flavor standpoint. Actually, playing with it where it was in the whole setup. Mm. I mean, come on. Like after Meriden, it played. It did nothing with Meriden. <laughs> it really didn't. It's like here's some artifacts. Here's all this. So, so cross block synergy was lacking. Yeah, I'm okay. sure that was the poster child for Mark Rosewater going. You know, we really should integrate these more. You know. Okay. It really, I think that's that's really what what uh, drew attention to that. But I really liked it from like um, a flavor standpoint. But I I do think that there were errors made there. Okay. Um, the arcane thing was. You know, it, it made it insular. You can't mm-hmm. you can't use Kamigawa block cards if you want to use the splice, which splice was fun. A mm-hmm. rules headache, by the way. Yeah. But but fun. You know, you can you can use your glacial ray to kill a, a you know core firewalker with it. You know. Ah. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Um, Ever okay. mind? Well, the the, <laughs> <laughs> the other reason I wanted to bring it up Amsterdam is because not only is it going to bring us maybe some new tech, we'll see. For extended, but it has also brought us something new for judges, and that is new judge foils. You know, before the show, you told me that you weren't going to tell me what these judge foils are, so I'm kind of nervous right. and excited. Okay, as to well, what these well, one of them was already announced um, when they talked about the reprint policy and reserve list. Um, one of them is from that group, um, and it is Wheel of Fortune. Oh my god! And it has new art. I've been told so. Wheel of Fortune is one of the one of the cards being given out at Pro Tour Amsterdam to the judges there. Can I just um, like fly to Amsterdam right now and, <laughs> and, just, and just just big just big, just be there? I'll yeah. wear I'll wear my my shirt and and just hold my hands out. And uh-huh. go, yeah, we'll we'll see we'll, we'll no, see if that happens. That um, uh, so that's yeah, Wheel of Fortune. Um, so become really good friends with a judge that made it to to Amsterdam, perhaps. Um, and of course, they'll be giving out over the next year or so. Yeah, you know, at other major events, um, though not in the quantities that they they did at Will Amsterdam. Um, the other one is not something that had been announced yet. <clears throat> um, and I'll let you I'll let you guess at this. We'll play a guessing game. Uh, I I come on, how do you do? Okay, that? Well, let's, I have, let's I have start no off idea. with a card type. Uh, okay, okay. Um, let's see uh, the card type. I'll tell you the card type. Okay. It's a land. A land? A land. Um, and it's a non-basic land, too, believe it or not. Oh. oh. So it's not a snow-covered island. They're not oh. giving us snow-covered islands. I, you know, that really, I don't know. I got some foil snow-covered islands. Though. Okay. Okay. Okay, so it's a non-basic land. Um, uh-huh. If they didn't announce it, it wouldn't be on the reserve list. Of Is course. Safe it's, not, it's not on the reserve list. Okay, so I guess no Tolarian Academy. Correct. No Tolarian Academy. That's a card that gets a bad rap too, because but it is a land that produces mana. Okay, that's that's so true. it's not Tabernacle at Pendle Vale. Of course, that's also on reserve list. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I let's see a land not on the reserve list um, produces mana. Produces mana. Okay, how about this? It does not produce colored mana. Okay, um, so things like Sarasanctum are out, Caracas, those things are out. Right. Um, I'm I'm trying to think of newer lands, but but it is an older card. Hmm. It was only printed in one set. It was printed as a promo in the past. 
Huh. Not Wasteland, is it? It is. What? There's a Judge Bowl Wasteland? Yes. That. Oh, good. Oh, man. I don't have to trade for the, the, the other one then. Oh, that that's cool. That's cool. I, I like yeah. that. Wasteland is the other one. You know, we, we, we you and I personally had a, a, a game where Wasteland came into play. Yes, I, I killed your Dark Depths and you didn't know how to stop it. Yes. Um, you, you totally outplayed me on that one. No. Well... But uh, that's that's what I remember Wasteland for, <laughs> to tell you the truth. That and the first time I saw it, I'm like, why would I play this when I can play Strip Mine? <laughs> right, right. Well, now when you can't play Strip Mine, you can play your other foil Wasteland. So oh, yeah, uh, and it has new art also. So that's good. Um, yeah, we'll we'll see what that is. Um, and new um, new border, of course. Oh yeah, yeah. And we'll we'll see that coming up. Probably we'll see it on MTG Salvation or some of the other room mills and eBay and you know coming to your local eBay soon. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's that Which means the... it may be coming into my pocket. Too. <laughs> uh, hi, your name is Jose. You have an eBay addiction. Um, <laughs> it's that, it's true. That how that works. True. I've recently I've recently gotten into the, uh, the MagicTraders.com, the online trading. League. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so that that really helps if you have an eBay addiction. Because it's kind of like shopping, you know, and then you just like instead of paying money, you pay cards. Yeah, but there's there's risk involved. There, there's a lot more risk involved. In fact, the one the the one trade I made, I actually met the guy in person because right, he yeah. lived in California, um, and the trade was a little a little uh, you know pricier cards. Pri- pricier card. So I I was totally happy with meeting the guy in person instead of that. So I I gave up a couple of my dual lands and I got a beautifully mint English the abyss. Yeah. I've actually seen it. Um, I have not been tested it. I offered to do that. And, uh, Jose kind of gave me the dirtiest look I've seen from Jose in a while. I, I, you know, it, we did, we did that time twister Ben test uh-huh. when I got that time twister and I said, this, this looks fake to me, Sean. Hell, yes. I, I'm not opposed to the Ben test, but <laughs> it's already, it, it's so pretty. I, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't want to destroy the dream, even if it was, fake. <laughs> um, Okay. Well, good. Now you're going to make me look at it. No, it's fine. It's fine. So, you, you know I'm paranoid. I'm, you know I'm paranoid. It's in perfect condition. It's beautiful. I, I could switch it. Oops. Okay. No. I just dropped it. <laughs> it I, was in perfect condition, Sean. I am not going to cut that part out. Oh, all right. No. All right. So, yeah. Well, that that's exciting. A, a, a new uh, Foil Wasteland. Uh, I'll be honest. I love Wheel of Fortune. Yeah. I love the Wheel of Fish. And, um, you know, I even liked Wheel of Fate from Time Spiral. Right? Oh, because it was the same art, more or less. Yeah, which I loved. Um, that was Kev Walker, Mr. I Hate Robots. Um, did I ever tell that story on the air? And yeah. I don't think I did. Uh, you can tell the story. I mean, it, I classify all of this as banter and worthy of being cut out, but you're going to be editing this anyway. Yeah, that's so. true. So I, I, have, I have the editorial control. No, I went to uh, the Mirrodin. This is, this is all in theme here. We're talking about these stuff. Okay. You know, it's Time Spiral, Meriden, it's all in theme. I went to the Meriden pre-release in Orlando back when I was uh, down in Florida. And uh, one of the artists in residence was going to be uh, doing signing was Kev Walker. Now, Kev Walker never is, goes is, to events. He's, he, he's he, he doesn't. He's, he's a curmudgeon. He lives off in the woods there. Um, but he was there in Florida in the balmy heat to attend the signing. Now, Kev Walker is a fan favorite artist. He's yeah. one of those guys that really just... Well, he, he did the iconic Wrath of God art. He did the iconic Damnation art. He's done... I mean, I, there's actually players I know that will only collect and play 
Kev Walker cards the same way you only collect and play Mark Tedden cards. Yeah, my Mark Tedden EDH, which, right. by the way, he's going to be at GP Portland. Right. I'm going to go up to him like an utter fanboy, hand him my EDH deck, and say, I love you, please sign. Okay, um, well, that you've been warned, Mark Tedden. <laughs> right, like he listens to Judge Cat. Yeah, no, he doesn't. But, okay, so Kev Walker was there, and if you recall in Meriden, he did a lot of art for Meriden. He did yeah. a lot of cool... Uh, pieces for Meriden. Um, you know, he did the mirror cycle, and I thought those looked amazing. He liked mm-hmm. the whole style for those. Silver mirror is one of those spoilers, by the way, for uh, scars. Silver mirror? That's what they say. Wow. Mirror. So, random comment. Anyway, continue. Okay, so... Kev Walker. So, you know, and, and I'm an art nerd. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I, I, I'm an artist. I'm an art nerd. So, um... Uh, I have a great appreciation for his work. So when he's there, I walk up to him with all the uh, Kev Walker cards I can think of. You know, Bizarre the Dreadful. I have a Kamal Pit Fighter. You know, all these great uh, iconic cards. And I go up to him and I say, Kev Walker, I love your art. I think you did some amazing work in this set. The mirror cycle is great. It has such great, you know, atmosphere. It gives uh, the, the, the pieces such, uh, you know, great feel. It gives the world a great feel. Sina Centurion. Um, you know, mm-hmm. is a personal favorite. That guy looks exactly like what the card does. I, you know, what was your inspiration? How did you do this? Um, I love your art. Please sign. And he looks at me with this dejected, dejected face. Like he's, he's been, you know, sweating since he got off the plane. Right. You know, and you're the 50, you're the 5,800th fanboy to come up to him yeah, it's true. in the last two hours. Yep. And, and with his balding pate and, and just looks up at me with these, these, these droopy eyes and says in an English accent, I hate robots. <laughs> I didn't say anything else. What could I say? I, mean, uh, I handed him a stack of robots uh-huh. and uh, he, he doesn't like them. So Ken yeah. Walker is, uh, I guess, not a, not a fan of mine. Well, he puts up with it well. Good. So we, so I'm more excited about Wheel of Fortune. That's, okay. that's the point. Well, and and now they do say new art on that, so we'll, we'll have to see exactly what what that is. Well, um, the the Lantax uh, art, the new art is fantastic. It's much better than that caricature, that yeah, anti-Semitic yeah. caricature art that that's on there. Yeah, on the original one. Yeah, on that the original was, that one. Was, that was kind of a kind of awkward. Yeah, but that that was from the Invoke Prejudice phase of Magic's art history. Yeah. And I, well, speaking of Invoke Prejudice and all those KKK guys, um, uh, Harold McNeil, I think, has done some great art. I okay, just think okay, it's, okay. Just to clarify, we are not slandering Harold McNeil in this podcast. Uh, no, I'm not slandering him. Okay, I'm saying that he's okay, done some great okay, art. I just okay, think it's just, unfortunate. Just to clarify, Mr. McNeil, we love your art. As long I as love it's not, his art. As long as it's, I mean, most of it. I mean, I, I just mean, don't like Klansmen, that's all. Right. No, of course. Invoke Prejudice, for those of you who don't know, go look it up um, in your nearest card database, maybe Gatherer. Um, look up the artwork on that and just, wow, you will be stunned. Yeah. Um, yeah that some, some of the artwork in, in Magic's history is just baffling. Yeah. Just baffling. We've talked about Denver. We've talked about Portland, where you're headed. Uh, yeah. We've talked about New Judge Foils, Amsterdam. Bunch of stuff going on in the world of judging. We've answered a ton of questions. This has been a good time, I think. Do you have anything else to add before we uh, call it an evening? Uh, other, other than thanking our listeners again for for sticking with us. Hopefully, you know, I want to see uh, some feedback on this. We we love your support and we love to see it. You know, uh, fanning us on Facebook, writing to us at judgecast at gmail We'd love to get emails and you know, posting comments on our 
uh, sites on MTG Cast and Mana Nation. Mm-hmm. Um, we read all those. You know, again, apologies for being out of the loop for so long, but we hope to bring them to you uh, on a regular basis. Maybe not weekly, but definitely like every other week. I want to. I really want to stick to that. No, I do. And uh, yeah, for those of you who have uh, questions of you know what went wrong, what happened, um, you know, there's some personal stuff involved with that. Um, I don't mind sharing that, but. Um, Probably not material for the podcast. I right. can we can talk about it later. Uh, if you really have to know, I can you know you can email me and I can I send email back or something. So, um, but yeah, you, you, you get a you get a hug. You definitely get a, a I, you know it's a well, hug. Well, I already feel reaffirmed just thinking about it. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> nice way to say f you. <laughs> no man, it's okay. The mere thought is all I need, Jose. Thanks. <laughs> You know I love you, man. No, I know, I know. All right. Well, I think uh, with that, we should thank our listeners again. And uh, as you so eloquently just did, um, thank you for sticking with us. Thank you for listening. Um, this is Sean Cadenese. I keep it fair. And Jose Boveda. I keep it fun. Thanks for listening. You know I do. I do.